sometimes things have to suck before they get better. There's so many books and stories and things that prove that again and again and again. At some point, as a human, we just have to say, yeah, that's that seems to be the case. I just need to hold in there just a little bit longer. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selig, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey, the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, Seven Hatters. Today, we dive deep into hat number one, the soul, as we discuss the mindset of the expectations with my guest, Ben Winter. Ben is a published author, speaker, actor, improvisator, and of course, a fellow entrepreneur. Let's explore more deeply what expectations are, why we have them, and most importantly, how to manage them to attain true happiness in our lives. Hey, Ben. Welcome to The Seven Hats. It's really great to have you. It's really great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm really excited to speak about one of my favorite topics, uh, expectations. So uh, let's discuss the journey that led you to write a book on expectations. You were working a corporate job. You were married at the time. So what was the shift like from corporate to, I assume, you became an entrepreneur? Tell us a little yeah, bit about it. Where were you and what was your state of mind? It was a very interesting time period. So August of 2009, my son was born. And in October of 2009, my, my then wife was basically saying like, hey, you should quit your job. You're stressed out and we should just, you know, you should leave and we should move to Europe. You know, we just had a baby. And so the thought of like leaving our world behind and moving to Europe was way beyond my thought or realm of thought. And so December rolls around. We go up to Montana where she's from and show off the baby to her side of the family. And it was during that time where I was away from the office. I was away from the stress. I was away from all of that. And I said, you know what? I think you're right. I think I should. I'm going to I'm gonna quit when we get back and let's leave for Europe. January of that year, I, I put in my notice and February, right around Valentine's Day, we we jumped on a plane and left. Um, we had sold off everything. We got a few things in storage, but, but we ultimately just left with no agenda whatsoever. And it was an amazing trip. It was definitely better because we had a baby with us because we got a lot more attention that way. Otherwise, we were just two American tourists in, in Europe. And when we got back after that amazing trip, because we, we decided after about three months, we were kind of tired of moving around. We wanted to be with our friends and family again. Uh, we got back and she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, and I did not want to go back to the corporate world. So I sort of had to figure out what, what I wanted to do. One of the things that I did at the time, just kind of for fun, was web design. So I was, I was good at building websites. And I sort of stumbled into one web design job and, and then another one. And ultimately, ended up started to do that for business. After getting a couple contract jobs, I was like, you know what? Maybe I should start this as a business. And so I did that for many, many years. And during that whole time as well, I've been doing improv um, on the side for fun. 
And it was in 2015 that I decided, you know, maybe it was a good idea to kind of bring improv into business because all we do every day of our lives is improvise. And since most people don't know there are rules to improv, if I can provide those rules and show them how they work in the, the working world and everyday life, maybe people will see this as a benefit. And so I created a new company called Success Improv, and that was where I actually would teach these rules of improv and how they apply to, to business. And so that was my first book was kind of my approach to say, hey, look, I'm a published author and I teach this stuff. So I'm legitimate, right? You know, <laughs> it's a legitimacy tool to have a book. And then while I was doing all these trainings, I kept talking about expectations during one of the rules of improv. That rule is called be specific, by the way. You'd think with expectations, you kind of need to be specific. And one of the things I kept always saying during that time was, the only reason anybody gets upset is because an expectation hasn't been met. But that was just pointing out a problem. It wasn't solving that problem. It was just pointing it out. And so I sat down with it and I said, all right, I really need to figure out how to solve this, if for nobody else than myself. And so I started working through this flowchart that happens to be in the book. It takes you from that moment of being upset to learning about the expectation you had and kind of finding a way to come to a level of peace with it. And then after that, I kept seeing all these little spots inside that diagram said, you know what, there's a lot of depth here. There's, there's a lot of fear. Like, why don't we share our expectations with other people? A lot of time, that's, that's fear that we don't share it. And so I said, all right, I need, to per I need to provide more details. I need to write a book about this. And I don't know if it's backwards from what most people do, but I, I went from finding a problem to solving it to adding depth to it. And that's, that's kind of the fast version of that story. But there was, there was a lot of trials and tribulations in there because I also had to go into one of the darkest periods of my life before I, I came out on the other side using meditation. And that's, yeah. it was during meditation that I ultimately got this idea for success improv. So I had to go to a pretty dark place first uh, before getting out of it. Well, I, I can't wait to delve into your dark place and we'll do that in a few minutes. So the corporate job, what was it? What, what did you do in corporate? Right. So I was a, what's called a business analyst. And the short version is if anybody's seen the movie Office Space, I was the guy that dealt with the customers so the engineers didn't have to because I had people skills. If you don't know the reference of Office Space, I was a translator between the tech world and the business world, and I put everything in documentation. Um, it was very, I guess that would be right-brained, not creative in any way. It's kind of soul-sucking to me, at least, because uh, I'm a pretty creative person. So I actually have more fun creating than just documenting things so then the corporate job turned into your first business which was web design so the first business that i created after the contract job was the web design and and ultimately became a graphic design business as well and so it was after about five years of that that i you know i went to that dark place in my life and at the other side of that with doing a lot of meditation and some spiritual work that's where i found success improv um, it was kind of one of those moments in time where it was like boom here you go here's what you need to do and I've spent years just kind of unpacking that moment in time, figuring out, oh, this this is what I'm supposed to do with that. And this is what I'm supposed to do with that. And I've produced several books and you know, became this author about expectations as a result. That's awesome. So was your wife the catalyst for the shift because she wanted to stay at home? Yes, she was definitely one of the big catalysts for me leaving the corporate job. And I think one of my faults in the, in the corporate world was loyalty because I kept seeing people come and go and then come back. 
they just got promoted left and right and got better positions. And, and meanwhile, I was there being loyal to the company, not getting anything. So it was, it wasn't enjoyable being in the corporate world. So when she said like, you need to leave, you're not happy there. She was definitely the catalyst for me starting my own thing. Also, because she said, let's go to Europe, it became this moment of clarity in time where it was like not having to answer to anybody else was so freeing and enjoyable. So was she aware of what was about to come with you being coming an entrepreneur? Neither of us were. <laughs> Neither of us were. Which is very typical. So you becoming an entrepreneur, did it take a toll on your marriage? It did. Uh, I think that was one of the main reasons we actually ended up getting a divorce was not because I was an entrepreneur, but because I'd say being an entrepreneur with a stay-at-home wife really kind of shows a lot of those deep-seated programs that we have and that I had. You know, yeah, she was a stay-at-home mom, but my son was starting to go to like preschool and kindergarten and she had some time. And it's like, you know, you were working when we met and now there's some time and we've been struggling with money this whole time. So maybe, and this, you know, this was before I was really good with expectations. I didn't share with her that my expectation was now you need to go start making money. Now she did have some ideas of creating income with some, you know, side businesses, and I absolutely helped build them. I helped create them. I helped build the website, the branding and all that stuff. But then she never actually did anything with them. So, you know, money is one of those prime things that causes you know, friction in a relationship. And, and that was definitely one of the main things that kind of drove a wedge in there. Uh, but there were, there were lots of factors. But it was becoming an entrepreneur. I became kind of more self-aware of like what I want in life and, and how I operate. So there was many factors, but I definitely think the entrepreneurialism definitely provided me with a different view on, you know, what I want and how I see the world. And it definitely just showed me that things were not well in our relationship. And, you know, she wanted me to make decisions, but then whenever I would make a decision, it was never the right one. You know, just we, we realized that we were not supposed to be together anymore. And, you know, since then, we're really good co-parents. We're really good at raising our child together so much better than when we were married. So it was, it, it's worked out for the best for both of us, but that's just kind of the nature of where things ended up. But yeah, entrepreneurialism, probably one catalyst for sure. You mentioned that you hit bottom. When was that bottom? Was that during that time of divorce or was that prior to? It was during the divorce process. So, you know, I, I've grown up with my parents being married. They're going to hit their 50th wedding anniversary next year. The whole thought of getting divorced was never like in my subconscious. So the second that I said my marriage was over, my whole system just broke down. It was like I couldn't stop crying for like two days. You know, I was just purging emotions and it was it was quite intense. There was so much to so much going on there because I again, I thought when I got married, it was going to be for life and it didn't turn out to be that way. And part of it was relief. Part of it was anger part i mean there's so many emotions happening but one of the things that happened during that time was like i don't know how i'm gonna move on like i don't know what that life looks like i don't there were so many unknowns and it all started to pile up on me and the divorce process started to pile up on me having more time to think because i wasn't around people it was like 50 50 kind of in a way so i had more time to be with my emotions with my thoughts that i kind of just got overwhelmed to the point where i'm like maybe it would just be easier to just end my life maybe that's the better approach but then i think the saving my, my son has been my saving grace like he literally if he was not around i might not be around 
the fact that he's around and I want to be there for him is kind of the one reason I never pulled that trigger per se. But there was somebody that I, I'd met through like networking and getting to know people. And it was somebody who did a lot of energy work and spiritual work and said, dude, I'm like, I'm at my end. Like I need help. And he sat down with me, you know, in about an hour's time frame, I went from the darkest place in my life to being totally at peace. And I was impressed by whatever he did. I was like, I don't know what you did. I don't know what's happening. Like, I want to know more about it. And I, I started meditating and doing a lot of the meditations that he was teaching and well, more facilitating. He didn't really teach them, but facilitated them. I just found so much peace and joy and happiness again. It was it was a huge shift. So I had ultimately needed to go to that dark place to find the light at the other side. So was the meditation that got you out of it or was it more spiritual work? I mean, the meditation was the spiritual work. Like it was an energy healing system as well as a meditation system and all this other stuff. So it was, but it was all spiritual work because you're, you're trying to connect with the divine, whatever that looks like for whoever. Like it wasn't a religious thing. It, it wasn't biased on any religious sect or anything. It was just, you know, here's a different way to connect with source or God or whatever you want to call it. And so the meditations really helped with that because it was like, not only were the meditations for me, they were also for you know healing those around me and healing the world. And so it was very giving meditation as well as receiving at the same time. So it was all through that work, the spiritual work that I did find the peace and joy again. That was my journey. I had to hit a dark place to even look for something in the spiritual realm. We share a very similar journey. I was a corporate guy prior to meeting my wife. And when we met, she's an actress. She's an artist, <laughs> uh, as you can relate, being an actor yourself. So when she met me, I had a corporate job, a very secure corporate job. I asked her to support me in starting a company, which we did. But she had no clue what she was getting into. I don't think, I mean, I definitely didn't have a clue because I was a entrepreneur. And, and being a entrepreneur, there's grand visions of unicorns and the, you know, the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and nothing can go wrong. And that's kind of the vision. Yeah. And look, I opened my business. You should all give me money. Exactly. Buy my I, stuff. I, right? I, I yeah. built it. Therefore, they're going to come. And that's the furthest from the truth. Years later, when all hell broke loose, I found myself in the corner of my room sobbing because I was about to lose my marriage, my business. I was in a million dollars worth of debt. Most of it was family debt. So it was not just financial debt. Mm. So what got me out of it was meditation and Eckhart Tolle. I mean, I read nice. his book. As of that, I started meditating two hours a day and started doing spiritual work. And that got me out of that dark place. So we share a very common journey in a sense. So Absolutely. It's very Eckhart interesting. Tolle. I, I talk about Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now when I talk about improv. Because one of the rules of improv is focus on the present. And Eckhart Tolle talks about the power of now, which is very much the same thing. He goes way more in-depth than I do. But yeah, it's huge. So what did you learn from that experience? I'd say the biggest thing is that no matter how dark it gets, there's always going to be light at the other end. Um, at least in my journey, that's what I've found. Anytime I've ever been sad or hurt or depressed, there's always something better around the corner. Every time I've lost a relationship, there was a better relationship. Every time I ended a, f a friend left, I got a different and better friend. Every time, you know, my car was in an accident, I'd end up with a better car afterwards. Like it was sometimes things have to suck before they get better. There's so many books and stories and things that prove that again and again and again. At some point as a human, we just have to say, yeah, that's that seems to be the case. I just need to hold in there just a little bit longer. It's true, though, that we all survive 100% of the worst days that we've ever had. I love that story. And that led you to 
think about expectations. So let's dive into expectations. Where do expectations come from and why do you think we have them? So our expectations, they come from our past. They come from how we're raised. They come from the society we grew up in. They come from the TV we watched. Expectations are kind of that framework that we have of how life works. The simplest would be, I expect to walk because I grew up learning how to walk and I walk everywhere. And so I expect to be able to walk everywhere. So when we, you know, hurt our leg or we break our leg and it's weird walking around, we kind of get a little upset because it's like, this is not how it, like, I'm supposed to be able to walk. That's a very simple version. Eating with a fork. I learned how to use a fork. I don't think twice about using a fork. But when I stab myself in the lip with a fork, I get a little upset because I don't expect to stab myself in the face with a fork. But then it goes much deeper into, I saw my parents in their relationship as I grew up. So that is my view of how relationships work when marriage is in the view. I didn't see them as boyfriend, girlfriend. I saw them as married couple. So to me, that's how married couples work. But then you start growing up and you see married couples on TV and they work differently than your parents. You're like, well, I kind of like that more than I like this. So then you expect more and more relationships to be, I'm going to say easy because you watch movies and like people are getting married after knowing each other for about two days, right? <laughs> when you really start diving into movies and TV, the time frame is so ridiculous. Yeah. Or The Bachelor, is, The Bachelorette. Yeah. You're, I mean, your perception on how things are supposed to work just gets skewed. So then when you go into life and you know, you meet somebody and you're not instantly falling in love and getting married a week later, you're like, well, what's wrong with this relationship? Why aren't things working like they do on TV? Why aren't we madly in love like my parents were? You know, we, we start to question those things around us. You know, if you grow up in a, a wealthy household and then you go out on your own and you realize you have to make your own money, you're like, but it shouldn't be this hard because it was never this hard. But then also there's people who are like, they don't get why people can't make money because they're so used to it. And then there's other people who have never made money and they're like, I don't want to live like that. So I'm going to do something different. So anyway, the way we grow up, the way we see the world, those are our expectations of life. Again, like if we grow up in a household where everybody's loving and caring and kind to everyone around you, and you go out in the world and somebody's a jerk to you, you're like, wait a second, that's not how the world works. But if you grow up in that household where you hate everyone and everybody's evil and nobody's going to serve you and you have to do everything yourself, and you go out in the world and somebody holds the door open for you, you're like, okay, what's going on? This isn't cool. There's something wrong with you for holding the door for me, right? They're just holding the door for you. So our perception of life really sets those expectations as we get older. We don't recognize them necessarily until they start going unmet. So a prime example is you grow up and you have a child. And now your child does something that you're not expecting that child to do because that's not how you grew up. So now you're like, whoa, you, wait a second. You're not supposed to do that. I'm going to no. And you start to sound like your parents when you start parenting. You're like, don't do that or you're going to hurt yourself. Wait, I just sounded like my mom. I never wanted to sound like my mom, but I'm sounding like my mom. Why? Because that's your only frame of reference to parenting is how you were parented. So a lot of times we will say, I sound like my parents because that's your frame of reference. So you can choose at that point. Like, I definitely don't want to sound like my mom. So now I'm going to change my thoughts and I'm going to change my actions and I'm going to do it differently when my kid starts to play with a knife. I don't know, whatever it might be. And it's impossible not to have expectations. So Anybody who's saying, like, I just choose not to have expectations. Well, guess what? That's an expectation in and of itself. Don't fool yourself. You have expectations. 
So the gurus out there, and you know them, they will say, don't expect, because suffering is the result of expectation. So would you agree that suffering begins with expectation? No. My view on the suffering part is when you become upset by an expectation going unmet, and you stay there. By staying upset, you suffer. But if you take that moment in time of being upset and say, did I know I had this expectation? Immediately, you're starting to shift the conversation with yourself and those around you to say, no, I didn't know I had this expectation. So if I didn't even know I had this expectation, how can I get upset at the result not going the way that I thought it should? And if I did know that expectation and I haven't shared it with anybody else, how can I get upset at them for not doing their part? Because they didn't even know they had a part to play. You know, if it's ourselves and how we want to work out or how we want our business to go, you know, we have expectations of ourselves. Sometimes we don't even realize what our limitations are around those expectations, because with expectations, we also grow up with limitations. I can only make this much money or I, I only can have this many friends or I can only do this much in a day. You know, so many people grow up constantly being late because they grew up in a family where they're always late. So now they are always late to everything they do. You know, they saw their parents go out and make money, so they thought it was easy. Like, I grew up, my dad was kind of the breadwinner of the house. I saw him leave in the morning and come home at night. I have no idea what he did during the day, but he was the provider. So to me, it was like, oh, he just goes out and makes money. I didn't realize how much struggling, how much struggle he went through on a day-to-day basis to make that money. I didn't even know he was an entrepreneur because he left and came home at the same time every day. I thought he had a corporate job, but he was actually an insurance agent. So he had to go and make his own money. But I didn't know that. I didn't know the struggle. I didn't learn any of this stuff. I had no frame of reference. So when I became an entrepreneur, it was like, I go out, I come home, I make money somewhere in between, right? But that's not how it works. <laughs> I mean, hopefully that's how it works. But you also, you just, there's a lot of stuff you have to do during that day to make it happen. It's, it's, there's so much going on. So much. You know, that's so interesting. I just, as Oprah says, I had an aha moment. We all have these expectations, and I see a lot of people dumb down their expectations when they don't materialize over and over and over again. It happens a lot with actors. It happens a lot with entrepreneurs. You try for something, you fail. You try, you fail. And all of a sudden, you tend to lower your expectations because you just don't want to get hurt. You still have expectations, but you just lower your expectations. The aha moment is you should have the greatest and grandest expectations, but you have to understand that there are so many expectations that materialize during the day that you don't glaze over. And there are a lot that are not going to materialize, but it's okay. And like you said, it's not that you shouldn't have expectations. It's that when things don't happen your way, you just don't stay there for too long. You understand why you didn't materialize that expectation and it might be the best for you because, you know, as you said, I've always wound up better, right, when things didn't materialize my way. And I wouldn't be an entrepreneur if I didn't leave my job. I mean, there are certain things that, that happen. And I just love that. I love that that you should have grand expectations. You just don't stay at the bottom when they don't materialize. What do you think about that? And there's, there's a little bit more to that because I'm going to use your, your wife as an example. So, I am sure at some level, she has grand visions of being a star leading role in a big major motion picture. Like what actor or actress does not want that, right? Like I want to be the next Matt Damon. Come on. Like, let's be honest. Am I there? No. Have I ever been in a movie? Technically, yes, but not in Hollywood. So I can't sit here and expect to be Matt Damon next month. That is an unreasonable expectation. 
But I can have the expectation that someday I will have a leading role in a Hollywood film. Now, what what can I do to step towards that? What expectations can I set so that it's easier for me to get to that expectation? Um, You can think of it as goal setting. Like if you've never made a million dollars and the most you've ever made is 50,000 in a year, you're not going to go from 50,000 to a million. You kind of have to step it up and say, okay, I made 50,000 last year. Maybe I can make 75,000 next year. And then maybe I can make 100,000 the next year. And then maybe 150. And then maybe 250. And then maybe I can get the half a million. And then maybe that next following year, I can finally hit that million dollar mark, right? That's a little more reasonable time frame. Those are steps that you can take, expectations that you can set to get to that ultimate expectation that you have. I agree. Don't ever give up on that big expectation and don't bring it down unless you're bringing it down to make it more digestible along the way. So I think there's, it's holding on to the ultimate goal, the ultimate exception or expectation, uh, but you got to work your way up to it at the same time. So it's the perception that you put on expectations that makes it so. And that's why in your book, you, you stated expectations are simply a thing, not good and not bad, right? Exactly. And I think that's where a lot of people say like, expectations are future resentment. Well, no, you're already placing, first of all, that's an expectation that expectations are bad and that they cause problems. But that's not the case because there are so many expectations that do go met, that do come to fruition every day, plain and simple. Your your watch works all day long. That's an expectation. You know, your phone stays charged until you plug it in at night. Like that's an expectation. So the people that have that perception of expectations see expectations as a negative thing the people that are really good at goal setting uh, you know goal setting is just another way to set an expectation it's just different wording but if somebody's really good at goal setting and they always get their goals well then they expect to get their goals and then expectations ultimately become a positive for them but at the end of the day expectations are just a thing they're not good bad right or wrong they're just a thing and your perception of how it lands ultimately defines your perception of that expectation at that time. But again, if you're upset as an expectation goes unmet, that's a choice at that point. You can either learn from it, and like I talked about the workflow, you can go through that and figure out where the problem lies, or you can suffer, as we've talked about. You can stay in that upset world, you can suffer, you can never get what you want, and stay there. That's, that's a choice. I think everyone should read your book because there's plenty of tips throughout the book. <laughs> there are a lot of gold nuggets. But if you would just like top three tips for the seven hatters to be able to manage their expectations or at least work through them, what would you say they were? Be. I'd say number one is anytime you find yourself upset, remember that you have a choice. That is the biggest piece of advice that I can possibly give anybody. You know, so much in society, they're like, chill out, don't be upset, whatever. Be upset. Just use it as an opportunity to learn. I don't want to make it any more difficult than that. If you can remind yourself that being upset is a trigger point for growth and opportunity, then you're one step ahead of the majority of the world. I don't really want to add a second and third to that because that's that's the, the easiest one, thing right? I think people. Yeah. So it's awareness, just being aware of your actions and your thoughts. And that you have a choice. And you have a choice. Yeah. So you wrote a book, writing a book is an arduous task, to say the least. I think you wrote multiple books, but the one we're speaking to right now is called What to Expect When Having Expectations. So what did you learn about yourself writing a book? A lot of writing a book is just patience. Uh, One of the things that we all like to do is get immediate gratification. Writing a book is not an immediately gratifying thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> like you may have an idea for a book and I wholeheartedly tell everyone you have a book in your, in your mind and your soul, you have one, just start writing down ideas and you may write down 10 or 20 ideas. And then that triggers a whole different book to come out. Um, you can always go back to those 10 ideas, just with the one that makes the most sense, go for it, start writing. But for me, it was definitely just patience because I, I had all these ideas for this expectations book and they just weren't forming a, I'm going to say a seamless path. And so I started writing down all these ideas on little cards and I was like, okay, what matches together? Where's the flow? Like what comes first? And, and I started treating it like a puzzle and I just put it all on a table and I started moving things around until it all just made sense. And then I was ultimately, ultimately able to take all those thoughts and produce a book in the, in the correct order. But I had to give myself that patience and willingness to meditate on it, if you will, <laughs> rather than forcing anything to happen. Being patient is huge for writing a book. Were your expectations met? Yeah, I, I think it turned out better than I thought. And the funny thing is, after writing it, I haven't read it in a long time. And then I, I ended up reading it to a friend of mine. And I was like, wow, I did a really good job here. <laughs> so, so I did better than I think I did. I love that. So last question. How did your internal story, that monkey mind, evolve from when you started in the corporate world, getting married, having a kid, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, everything is just beautiful in, in, in the world, to where you are now? The word awareness comes to mind again. What I would say is that to anybody who's doing personal growth, they want better, they want different. Whatever voice is telling you that you can't, I hate to break it to you. That voice is never going to go away. Mm. It's always going to be there. But you can create a bigger, stronger voice. And that's what I've done in, in this journey is I started with this voice of you're not a confident person. You basically a lack of self-confidence and, and all the voices that said you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not lovable. All those voices were very loud. And then I started on this journey. And I have a much stronger voice that says, yeah, you're good. You can do this. You're awesome. Make it happen. The other voice every now and then, it'll, it'll come out and yell at me from across the room. But the other voice is much stronger. And it's it reminds the other one to just sit down and shut up. It doesn't have a place anymore. It's amazing what awareness will provide because I will see that voice pop up every now and then. And I'll remind myself that there's a the bigger, stronger voice that says, I am self-confident. I do have value. I have created amazing things in my life. And it's only going to get better. Yeah, I'm going to have some dark times, but you know what? I know what's on the other side of those dark times. So those dark times aren't going to last very long. And that's what the beauty of this awareness is, is knowing that the voice will never go away. It's just going to get smaller and more quiet over time as this other voice gets louder and louder and stronger and stronger. For anybody out there that's got a voice they don't like, it's okay. Create a better one, one that you like. And expectations will never be handled, and it's a journey. As I get older, my, as my son goes out on his own, I'm going to have expectations that I didn't even know I had. As I get older and I, get, you know, I go to retirement or whatever, I'm going to have expectations I didn't realize I had. It's a lifelong journey of exploring those expectations, and they're always going to be something new to learn from. So get used to it. <laughs> get used to it. I love it. So where can the Seven Hatters find you? Where could they order the book? Again, the book is What to Expect When Having Expectations by Ben Winter. Tell us, where do you sell it? How could they reach you? I think the easiest for everyone would be to go to my website, which is havingexpectations.com. You can get a download of that flowchart we've been talking about. You can find links to the book believe it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all those various sources. So it's out there. 
Is there a, an email or, or is it just on your website they can contact you if they have any questions? Yeah, on the website, there's social media links and email and all that fun stuff. So, And I'll link, every, yeah, and I'll link your website in the show notes. Ben, Perfect. it was a pleasure speaking with you. I literally had a ball. It was fantastic and a very <laughs> stimulating conversation for me personally. I loved how spiritual we got. And thank you for writing the book and thank you for helping us overcome our expectations or at least understand them better. I appreciate it, and thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me again. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ben. Let's end today with the segment of the show that I refer to as, What Can We Hang Our Hat On? And here's my takeaway. Ben states that expectations come from our past experiences and our framework on how life works. Entrepreneurs tend to pin their hopes for happiness on fulfilled expectations. However, they find themselves angry and depressed when expectations are not met. Since it's virtually impossible not to have expectations, Ben provides the single best advice to find solace. Whenever you find yourself upset or disappointed with an unmet expectation, realize that you have a choice. It doesn't mean you don't get upset. Just remember, being upset is a trigger point for growth and opportunity. So learn, grow, And remember what Steve Jobs said, you can only connect the dots backwards. Many unmet expectations usually turn out to be incredible opportunities on your journey. I want to thank Ben once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from his wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you received from it so we can attract even more high quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you.